Uh, but if you're here last week, you know that we had kicked off in this new series, and we're going to be in this a number of weeks. Uh, and really, the center point is going to be Easter, the greatest miracle, the miracle of the resurrection. But what you know when you study the Bible and, and you know God, that, that he doesn't play by our rules. Uh, he doesn't uh, operate in our own perspective of reality. But God is all-powerful in all situations. He's able to do things well beyond our own ability and work in ways that's just clear, abundantly clear that this was God's work and not ours. And so throughout the series, as uh, later we get into this, uh, the end of the series, I want to share our own stories as a community of how God has worked in your life, how he's worked in ways you know for sure this is God working and, and not you. It's not just random chance, but I want to give God all the glory for the ways that he's, he's working in your life. And throughout the Bible, we see many amazing things happen. We see healings, we see provision, we see protection, uh, and certainly those things happen in our lives today. Uh, but there's other things that God does where he heals relationships. Uh, he heals people inside uh, emotionally and spiritually. Maybe it's something that God has done and to provide in a miraculous way in your life, whatever it might be. Uh, whether it's a long story or just a, a quick sentence, I encourage you uh, to share those. And so there's one way you can do that uh, through online, uh, through a submission form. It's just our website, mpcommunitychurch.org slash miracles. And you'll see more information in your bulletin of how to do that. Uh, you can also do a handwritten form if you're old school. Uh, and then also, if you just want to share it with me uh, personally, either an email or, or a personal conversation, I want to gather a lot of these stories and then have a chance to, to share those later on. Uh, but today we're going to be looking at uh, probably one of the more well-known miracles of Jesus in the, the Bible. Uh, it's when Jesus walks on water. And this is actually just a continuation of last week. Uh, Jesus uh, had just fed 5,000 men and their families. Uh, Pastor Chris had spoken on that. And we see faith in the midst of need that Jesus can provide in all situations. And now we see faith in the midst of fear. And the disciples certainly had themselves in a predicament. And Jesus walks to them on the water. And, and for us Minnesotans, we're thinking walking on water isn't that impressive, right? <laughs> the last four months, anyone could have done that at will. They could have driven on water if they wanted to. But here we see uh, Jesus really coming to these disciples in uh, the middle of a really big problem. And I wish I could tell you this morning that if you follow Jesus, all of your problems just go away. I wish I could tell you, especially if you're new in the faith, I wish I could tell you that from here on out, if you give your life to Jesus, it's going to be smooth sailing. It's going to be a quiet life with an easy road. And I wish I could tell you these things, but I can't. Because I would be lying to you. We know that for believers, life is hard. Life is hard for everyone, but for believers especially, life can be really hard, not because you're being disobedient to God, but because you're being obedient to God. There's going to be storms in this life, things that can scare you, things that really make you wrestle with your faith. But through this miracle, we see we can have faith in God that never leaves us, that Jesus will be with you in all circumstances. And there's some really important truths that I want all of us to walk out with today, this confidence in God that we see through this miracle, that Jesus 
will never leave you, that you are always in his sight, that you're within his reach, that he has this great compassion for you no matter what situation you're in, and that Jesus can bring peace into your life through these trials and ultimately from these trials. And undoubtedly, there's some of you here this morning that are going through difficulties. Maybe the greatest difficulties you've ever faced in your life. Maybe for some of you, like, things are actually pretty good right now. Just hold on to this message, because you're probably going to need it down the road here soon. We're all going through difficulties in these storms in life, and we see Jesus really showcasing his power and his compassion for his people. And the same truths that were taught to the disciples that day are being taught to us, his disciples, today. We are to keep faith even in the most difficult of circumstances. And so if you're not there already, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 14. If you bookmarked from last week, uh, just continue right on in the text. We're going to be reading verses 22 through 33. But pray with me before we read God's word today. So Lord, uh, we do thank you that you are the God of miracles, that you can work in ways that uh, we cannot even imagine, that all of creation is subject to you, that you hold everything, the balance of the world in, in your hands, Lord, that everything happens because you ordain it to happen or you allow it to happen. And God, we know that you work in the most difficult situations of our life, but I pray specifically, God, for those of us who are, are, are really wrestling through a trial right now, that maybe in their minds they've been asking the question, where is God in all of this? Why am I going through this situation? Why does it feel like I'm alone? Lord, remind us that we are never alone, that we are never out of your sight, but you are with us walking through these trials, and ultimately, Lord, you will deliver us from every trial. And so, God, I pray that you speak to us today, that you encourage us, that you teach us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you soften our hearts to accept this truth, and, God, that we will live with this truth, that it shapes who we are through your power. And so we pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Read with me now, Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? 
And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Many things we can pull out of this miracle, this incredible story of God's power and his, his patience with his people. And there's really four big truths I want to center on today. And the first is this, that you are never out of God's sight. Now, the disciples found themselves in a pretty difficult situation, as we do oftentimes, find ourselves in these, these situations that can be downright terrifying. And maybe you felt like God is just a million miles away. He doesn't see you. He doesn't care about you. But that simply is not true. And the situation that we see the disciples in here is that they're in this tough spot in the middle of the Sea of Galilee that they're probably in the middle of the lake. And this lake is probably four or five miles across, depending on where they're going. And it's a trip that would normally take less than an hour. But here they are late in the evening. This is actually uh, early in the morning, probably between the hours of 3 and 6 a.m., and they would have left before sunset. So now they're out uh, six, maybe up to ten hours in the middle of this journey that should have only taken an hour. These storms, they can roll in quickly on the Sea of Galilee, as they do still today, with no warning. And here they are, buffeted by these waves, which means they're making no progress. And instead of sailing across the lake, they're having to row. And probably just to to, uh, keep themselves alive here, they were frantic and exhausted and scared. Now, this is not the first time they found themselves in this situation. In fact, back in, in Matthew 8, we read about another time they're caught up in a storm. And Jesus was with them in the moment, sleeping at the bottom of the boat, and they were scared. They called on Jesus, and Jesus calmed the storm. Now they feel like they are even more scared because Jesus is nowhere in sight. He went up to the mountainside to pray, and there in the middle of the lake, with a strong headwind making no headway. Now why were they here? More often than not as believers, we say or we think if you're in a tough situation, it's because you're disobedient or you made a dumb decision. But what we know from the beginning of, of this is that Jesus actually commanded them to go. He put them into the boat and and pushed them off. It said that Jesus made them go in the boat. And this is a really strong word. It's not so much of a suggestion. It's not really a threat either, but it's a strong command that you would not question. Kind of like if you're walking into a bank and someone, maybe even just a stranger, comes out and makes eye contact with you and says, do not go in there, turn around and leave. You would take them at their word. You'd sense the urgency and you would go, fearing the worst. And that's exactly how Jesus spoke to these disciples when he made them go. Get out of here, get on the water, go across the lake, I'll meet you there. And we know in the account, the same account of this miracle in the book of John, chapter 6, that what was happening is after this this miracle of the fishes and the loaves, these people were rallying around Jesus. And it was this, this attempt of this political overthrow. They wanted to crown Jesus the king of the land over the Roman government. And this is one of a few times this had happened, and Jesus said, this is not the time, this is not the way. And so he pushed the disciples out. 
They were out in the middle of the lake in this situation because they were obeying God. This kind of wrinkles our brains oftentimes as believers because we assume often the opposite. And that's the first big truth I want you to walk away from today, especially if you're wrestling through a tough thing. That just because you're in a tough spot, it doesn't mean you're in the wrong spot. Right? God uses these moments for purposes way higher than we can really know. And we know that Jesus has control over the wind and the rain and the storms. And, and Jesus was off on this mountainside by himself praying. It's, it's possible, probably, it's probable here that, that Jesus actually sent this storm for the disciples as a way to teach them. Because this crowd of people after this loaves and fishes miracle believed that Jesus was something special. But we read from the other gospel accounts that it's kind of lost on the twelve. They didn't realize how amazing this was or that it was a miracle at all. And now I think Jesus is using this moment, this storm, to really show them who he is and to deepen their faith. Trials and hardships kind of work that way in our life. It's these difficult moments that ultimately strengthen our faith and deepen our understanding of who God is. We think that God cares about us most in these moments when everything's going well, and he's forgetting about us in the moments that everything is going poorly. But he made them get into the boat. I believe he sent this storm for a purpose and his reason, because their faith was still small. And as we go through the story, we see how their faith grows in the Son of God. God sees you during your trials and your hardships, and you have to have trust in his sovereignty. And that's the base level of faith. In the book of Mark, in the same account as Mark chapter 6, there's something uh, amazing that's written there, that, that as Jesus was on the mountainside, it said that he could see his disciples struggling to row against the wind. Now, it's amazing because this is probably several miles away in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the night. And it's just this illustration to us that even if you feel like you're stuck in the middle of a lake and you're struggling against the wind and God seems nowhere in sight, he sees you. He sees it all. He knows your situation and what you're going through. Just remember, when you're in a tough spot, you are never out of God's sight. Now we get kind of into the meat of the miracle here, right? The reason it's titled Jesus Walks on Water is because Jesus walks on water. We understand that the, the, this truth we can live with is that you're never out of God's reach. And we often think we're in the middle of these circumstances that this is just too big for God. God has done a lot of amazing things, but this thing I'm going through is just way too big for God to ever really be with me. But the wind and the waves and even the water itself is not an obstacle for God. That shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Again, this is three to six in the morning. And when the disciples saw him walking in the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Now, this is a really interesting response from the disciples. A ghost, really? Like, they knew Jesus. They had been with him for a long time. A ghost? A water spirit is what others have translated it as. 
I think this shows really the perspective of the disciples in this situation. As they figured that the situation they were in was too big. Now, in, in Hebrew, uh, Hebrew culture, uh, water, waves, storms in the water were seen as the greatest force of nature. There's no greater force than a storm of the sea. We see that in the Old Testament many different times. In Psalm 93, it really showcases the power of God when the psalmist says, Mightier than the thunder of great waters, mightier than the breakers or the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. It's this perspective you must carry as a believer that God has no obstacles. There's no such thing that can keep him from reaching you. But I think in their minds, here they are in the middle of the storm, thinking Jesus is nowhere to be found, and now there's no way for him to get to us. But Jesus walks on the water, miles from shore into the middle of the lake. We adopt that mentality often in our, in our issues, and we think, God's obviously not here. He's obviously not coming. And now all that's going to save me is my own strength and power. And so there they were, rowing and rowing and rowing, with no progress to be made. But he appears. And their first thought is, that's not Jesus, it's a ghost. Who else could walk on water? Now, I understand this because it certainly is startling to see things out of place. Right? And if it doesn't terrify us, it can at least confuse us. And along the same lines, it jogged my memory of, of uh, when I was growing up, I was in Boy Scouts, and every year we'd go to a chain of lakes in Superior National Forest. It wasn't exactly the boundary waters, but it was the same experience. Uh, boats, I suppose, were allowed, but you had to be really determined uh, to maybe haul one back into this chain of lakes. And what sets it apart from the boundary waters is every designated campsite had a great amenity, picnic table, It was the only amenity. Everything else you had to carry in. But we loved this one campsite uh, about a few miles in into this really, really big lake uh, because it had a a submerged boulder about 200 feet from shore that we affectionately called Rainbow Rock uh, because when you would get close to it, you'd see all of the paint that was scraped from all the different uh, boats and canoes that would hit it. It is this great big boulder like eight feet across, and it would be about an inch below the water. So you couldn't see it. And what we'd love to do is actually um, swim out a picnic table. They do float. Don't ask me how I know. But we'd, we'd swim out a picnic table onto this big rock, and then, and then me and a few others would have uh, our, our meals out there. Uh, and one year, there was this group all the way across the lake that saw us eating on a picnic table. And they were so confused that they had to send kind of their own scouts over, right? to figure out what was going on. And it wasn't until they got close that they realized that there's a rock underneath us. But they weren't terrified as much as they were just really confused. It's the last thing they would expect to see. And this is kind of the situation that the disciples were in. They were not expecting to see Jesus. They were convinced he was out of reach. Yet there he was, showing himself and his, his power and control over all of nature making it clear there was no obstacle that could keep him from them. And he shares this threefold statement that's, that's pretty amazing all in its own. He said, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Look at take courage. 
that before he calms the storm, he really calms their fears. And courage, again, is one of those things that we see consistently throughout the scriptures. We can only have courage if we know that God is with us. If we think we're doing it alone, it's impossible to have courage unless as much courage you can muster up in your own strength. And it's just like Joshua 1.9, when he's charged with a whole bunch of stuff. Joshua, he's right on the heels of Moses, like the great Moses, right? And now Joshua is, is taking the reins from Moses. And naturally, that's going to be intimidating. He's looking at all that's ahead of him. And God reminds him, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Don't be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. Certainly, Jesus is playing on that very well-known verse. Take courage, I'm with you. And then he says, it is I. It is I. Now, if you read commentaries, this is where it just kind of blows up in several pages. This is a loaded statement. It is I. Another way you can translate it is I. I am. Or I am who am. Jesus is saying a lot with three little words here. I am. Just like all the statements through the book of John, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd who does not forget his sheep. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But it also has deep connections to the Old Testament. When, when Moses saw the burning bush, what did the, the bush say? I am. I am who am. And that's God saying, I am the creator of all things. I am the beginning and the end. I am God. This was not lost in the disciples in that moment, I don't think. It's this reminder that they are never forgotten or abandoned. It is I. I'm the one who is faithful to you in the desert. Now I'm even more faithful in the sea. The greatest power on earth. And here we see Jesus really elevating himself above anyone that came before him. Even the feeding of 5,000 that we read about last week. Many believe this is Jesus illustrating that he provides even greater than, than, uh, than through Moses in the desert with manna. Right? And there was a, a place where God faithfully provided every day bread from heaven. All the people had to do was go pick up a little from much. And hours before this miracle, Jesus illustrated that he could give much from little. And Moses, through the power of God, split the Red Sea, where the people of Israel could draw, walk through dry land in the middle of water. Dry land. Mortal men could only walk on dry land. But now Jesus is walking on water as though it were dry land. He is greater above and beyond anything that had ever come before. And there's no obstacle that could keep Jesus from his people. So do not be afraid. Do not fear. This is a reminder given frequently throughout the scriptures. This is really a lesson of faith. We often think that the opposite of faith is doubt. It's not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. When you have faith in God, there is no reason to be afraid, no matter what you're going through. It's said that, the, that fear is really just the worship of worry or the worship of problems. 
No matter what you're going through, you need to believe that God is bigger than that. Having faith in God or fear, reverence in God, is the opposite of fear of your problems. And the truth I want to leave you with here is that Jesus promised he will always be with us. Right? We go to the very last verse of this book, Matthew 28, verse 20. Jesus promises that surely I am with you always to the very end of this age. Some of the last words he shared with his disciples before he ascended to heaven. He tasked them with the really hard stuff, sharing this gospel message that then and even today is, is very unpopular in many areas. You can get people killed. But Jesus said, do not be afraid. I am with you always. And according to the Bible, again, if you're new to the faith and you haven't read much of the Bible, I'll just take my word for it. It's very clear that God ordains trials in our lives. And he does this with purpose. He does it to reveal his character and to deepen our faith in ways that we could never know apart from those trials. We see from this example that Jesus not only walks with us through these storms of life, but he used them to greater reveal himself. To us, And in the middle of this storm, their faith is becoming more real. The disciples are still sorting things out. But now they know who Jesus is and the power he has. And, and really through the, the Gospels, everything Jesus did, every miracle, every teaching had great purpose. The purpose was to reveal himself to us and to deepen our faith in him. And that certainly, this is certainly a moment where that's uh, true, right? And, and we see that all that Jesus is doing is this great compassion for his people, that he can reveal himself to them, that they can know him more, and have this faith and trust in him. And so now we go to kind of the next level of this miracle. If we couldn't up the ante anymore, here we go. It wasn't just Jesus who walks on water, but now Peter, even for a moment, walks with him. Now, we often give the disciples a hard time when we think, how could you not know who Jesus is, right? You were with him, you're seeing him do all of these things, and still, even up until the death and the resurrection, they still didn't really get it. And it's easy to kind of armchair quarterback this one and say, boy, you guys were just really dense. But if we're honest, we see ourselves in the disciples, that our faith really grows, but it also kind of vacillates at times. And he's like, I think this is what God is saying, but I, this is what he did, but this situation just seems too hard for him. And, and we really struggle with faith as well. But here in this moment, we see the faith really kind of come alive in the disciples, and, and especially in Peter. That Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And come. Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Now this section starts out with um, some words that could be interpreted either way. Lord, if it's you. 
Now, this could be seen as a step of doubt, right? Okay, you just, you know, we thought you were a ghost and you said you're Jesus, but if it's really you, let's be sure here. Let me, let me walk on the water with you. It's possible, it's probably more probable to this reads more, Lord, since it's you, since it's you, I want to walk on the water with you. The problem here is we often put all the emphasis on the amount of faith Peter had. And that's not the point of this miracle, this story. It's really the power of Jesus to work in people even who have a growing or a weak faith. And we see that even if it is this bold and courageous faith of Peter, moments later it's undone. So you have this kind of like this high moment followed by a low moment, seconds apart. The focus here is on Jesus and his compassion for his people. The fact that all he does is to save us from who we were, to work in us in ways that we can never work in ourselves, and bring us to places that we could never even imagine. And here Jesus is, is really empowering Peter to do the impossible. And he simply commands him to come. We see here Peter working in an act of obedience. And here again is one of those moments that faith without obedience is kind of pointless. It's really obedience to Christ that vaults us into this journey of faith to new levels. So Peter gets down out of the boat and walks on water. He's obedient to him. Even water itself is obedient to Jesus here. Can you imagine that moment of taking a step out of the boat and your foot kind of hitting the water, right? And you put your full weight into it and it holds you, right? And you take a few more. That's how I feel every winter on early ice. Is like, is this really going to work? But here he is taking a few steps out of the boat. Right? And then there's this moment where he's overcome again by the distractions and the fears and this prob- these problems around him. He sees the wind and the waves and he becomes afraid and he begins to sink. You gotta love Peter. Right? He's kind of the people's disciple. He's the bold one. He, he says big things, he does big things. The things that we would probably never say or do, but we're thinking, right? And then he immediately fails. He's the one who said, Jesus, I would never deny you. Lord, that's not me. And then he denies Jesus three times before the rooster crows. But this is the great encouragement for all believers is we're a lot like Peter. We have this heart. We really want to follow Jesus. We'll say all of the big things and do all the big things, and then we fall flat on our face. But then Jesus is compassionate. That when we call, Lord, save us, when we become more afraid of our problems and fear them more than God, and then in desperation say, Lord, save me, he does immediately. And that's really the, the cry we can only make to Jesus, save me. This showcases Jesus' true power, but also his heart of love and compassion and grace and mercy for all of us who continually fall flat on our face. God loves this kind of cry from his disciples. Save me. It's a sign that we've come to the end of our self-reliance, life in our own power, and this realization that there is nowhere to turn but God himself. He's faithful to grab your arm and to pull you out immediately. 
now there's this moment where Jesus kind of, I'm not going to say he chastises Peter here, but he kind of makes an example out of Peter. He said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Again, this is a moment where we can really misread this miracle if we make it less about Jesus' power and compassion and more about Peter's faith or his level of faith. We need to understand faith correctly here. Okay, there's definitely a correlation between faith and miracles in the Bible. We know that because uh, before this, it said that Jesus did not perform miracles in his own home city because they did not believe. There's a correlation here between faith and miracles, but what is it? Well, first we need to understand that faith itself is a gift of compassion and grace. It's not a power within us. It's not a right that we have. Faith is something that God gives you. But it's also an understanding that what matters most is is not the measure of your faith, but the object of your faith. See, this is where we get it wrong. We think if our faith is strong, right, which means if I just believe hard enough, God will do this miracle. That's more a showcase of your own strength than God's strength. If you really think miracles are about just believing harder, then just try something this summer. Walk to the end of a dock, Lake Independence, and say, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, and take a step out and see what happens. See, we call that the Thomas the Train faith. And by we, I mean me. I just made it up right now. All right, Thomas the Train is the one who couldn't make it up the hill, and he just had to believe hard enough in himself, and then finally he made it up. We can look at faith the same way sometimes, and it's viewing it incorrectly. Faith is not a measure of how hard you can believe, but this this relentless trust in God, the one who can overcome anything. Really, faith is more powerful when you understand your own weaknesses. And we know that it's not the measure of faith. Jesus even said that faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. It's faith in the right person. Faith is only strong when when you understand the object of your faith is strong. As long as your faith is centered on your own circumstances, your own power, your own abilities, you will be weak. But when your faith is on Christ, when your eyes are on him, his sovereignty, his graciousness, his love, you can always rest secure. Because Jesus does not change, so your faith would also not change, no matter what you're going through. See, this is the difference here between faith in faith and faith in Jesus. In Hebrews 12, as we know, the chapter of faith, it says that if you you are to keep your eyes on Jesus, the source and the perfecter of your faith. If you think miracles happen because of your strong faith, just believe really hard, it means you're, you're trusting in your own strength. And that's how we understand something like Philippians 4.13, probably the most misquoted or misused verse in the Bible. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Right? If I just believe hard enough, I can dunk that basketball. I mean, let's, let's go 360 dunk. Why not? Just, I can do it. That whole context is understanding that Paul is really revisiting all of the most difficult moments of his life. And the moment he's in right now is difficult is I can make it through these trials because I know that God 
is bigger than my problem. And my faith is in him. Peter was still wavering in his faith. His faith was still growing. It was still quite small. His issues is that he took his eyes off Jesus. And that's why his faith was weak. And the last point as we conclude today, the truth you need to leave with here is that you are never beyond God's peace. And we see the culmination of this whole miracle. And another miracle happens here that when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Jesus calmed the storm once again. This is why we can have faith instead of fear in all of our situations because Jesus is the source of peace. That even through trials, he will give us peace, but ultimately he will give us peace from our trials. There's peace that we all seek in this world, but lasting and true and miraculous peace is something we will not find in ourselves. It is not in our own power, it is not in our own understanding, but it is a gift from God that we can experience the peace that passes understanding. And there will come a day when Jesus comes back and he gives us total and everlasting peace from all of our problems. That's a promise for his people. But until then, we have the encouragement to persevere through anything we're facing. And then they worshipped him. This is a really important part of the miracle and something we can't just gloss over. They understood exactly who Jesus was. Truly, you are the Son of God. And what we just read is in the halfway point of the the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus had done and said many amazing things. This is the first time that the disciples referred to him as the Son of God. This is a big admission from them. There's nothing left for Jesus to prove he was exactly who he said he was because of this miracle. And they worshipped him as the Son of God. Miracles, signs, wonders, they have one purpose It's not a sign of who we are and how much faith we have. It's a sign of who he is. We are to recognize him and worship him for all he's done. The parting thought is this. is That the most trying experiences of your life are going to have a meaningful and beautiful ending if you keep your eyes on Christ. It's natural to ask the questions, why? Why me? Why this? Why now? You have to rest in the faith and the truth that God uses all of these things for purposes greater than we could ever know. We can often talk about how big God is, right? The omni-statements. He's he's omniscient, which means all-knowing. He's omnipresent, which means that he's everywhere. He's omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. But when we describe God in these ways, we also have to adjust our faith with these understandings and these realities. When you're going through those difficult times and it feels like you're stuck in the middle of the lake, rowing as hard as you can with no progress, and it feels like God is just not there, he does not care, you have to remember that God has not forgotten you. 
You are not out of his sight. He is all seeing, all knowing. Maybe it feels like he is out of, you're out of his reach. You have to remember, God is all-powerful. There's no obstacle too big for him. Maybe it feels like God just doesn't care. Jesus is all-compassionate. Everything he does is out of love for us. Maybe it feels like there's no end to where you're going. God knows your troubles. There's a perfect ending for you if you keep your eyes on him. And maybe you're saying, this is the worst it could ever get. And if you're a believer, that could be true. Because the reality is there's an eternity better for you than you could ever imagine. And it comes through seeing Jesus, keeping your eyes on him. So I encourage you all, don't lose your faith. Don't lose your focus. Keep your eyes on Jesus, not on your problems. Trust him. Obey him. Worship him. Believe him. Let's pray today. Lord, we thank you for all you've done in our lives. And there's so many things, God, we don't even see. We don't even know. There are miracles all over the place, God. Anyone who is in you, anyone who's been made new in you is a miracle all in themselves. And so, God, I just pray for all of us that that we would keep our eyes fixed on you, not on the problems of life, not on our worries, that we would not live in fear, but we live in faith, knowing you are God. As you say, you, I am who am. God, you're here before the beginning of the world. You will be here forever. You do not change. And Lord, help us just to trust you more. And I pray for anyone today who's not made that, that step of faith, that they're still trying to row against the waves themselves, that they're doing everything in their own power, that they would finally give up and say, Lord, save me. God, it's, it's a simple step just to admit before you that we are a sinner, that we believe that all you've done was out of love, that you paid the price for our sins, that you can bring us into reconciliation with the Father and to confess you as the Son of God, that you are Lord. So anyone here today that they make those steps between themselves and you, that they place their faith in you, God, we pray for them now in this exciting new journey of faith. But for the rest of us, God, who have been walking or rowing for a long time, God, just renew our faith in you day by day. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. God, that we may know you, that we may trust you more today than we did yesterday. We know this is all possible through your power. As we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.